0: Welcome to Foothills Church. Sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. We are a church where we want to encourage you to really think about the most important questions of life. So, I'm glad you're here with us today and all of you who are doing church at home we're so glad that you're joining us and maybe you're watching this at a later time and that's awesome because it's an opportunity for God to speak to you so open up your phone app and you can get it at any of your app stores it's uh FH Boise or Foothills Boise and <clears throat> excuse me uh at the bottom, is it, it'll say Sunday. You click on that button, and then you can click on message notes. And all of the notes from today's message and all the passages of scriptures will be there for you. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to YouTube because our subscriptions, as they grow, it allows people more access to our channel. And the reason we have been growing through the pandemic is because people have realized that fluff is not enough anymore. They want something that really helps them understand. And so we're going to be teaching uh, from the Bible today just for you in the book of Philippians. But before we start, I found a game that the Japanese play that describes our life right now and what we're going through. It's really a simple concept game. It's called Bo uh, Taashi. And as they show it to here to you, I want to give you another game. What you do is you have a group of team, people, about 50 people and they have a pole with a guy on the top, and then you have another team, and their job is one goal, pull the guy down. Okay, that's it. There are no rules to this game. So you can do whatever you can. So look at them, they're kicking each other. You get a couple karate chops going. Look at this guy over here. Pretty soon in a second, yeah, see, this guy's got his shirt ripped off. I mean, and then this other team over here, they're doing a little bit better over there. They're running and climbing up there, and that guy's saying, get down, get down. This is just kind of a crazy game, you know? Leave it to the Japanese to come up with this idea. Here's one that I think is hilarious. Look at this guy on the pole. Man, he's way up there, and then suddenly, watch what he starts doing. I'm kicking you, man. <laughs> that's funny right there. That's just funny. Now, you might ask, why in the world am I showing you this game? Because this is our life right now. Every day you get up on that pole and there are 50 people doing whatever they can to pull you down. And Hashtag Blessed is a series on discovering how to live blessed even when you're stressed. How do you live blessed even when you're stressed. So if you're tired of the fear, if you're tired of the despair, you're tired of the disruption, you're tired of waiting for the other shoe to drop, then hashtag blessed is for you because we are going to explore what Paul teaches in the book of Philippians that shows us how to live blessed even when we're stressed. Now, this study is Paul's message to people living in the city of Philippi. And what's interesting is he writes to them about joy from prison. So Paul is in prison when he writes this. And what's interesting is when you go back and look at the founding of this church in the book of Acts, what you find is that when Paul went to the city of Philippi, what happened is he couldn't find... A synagogue to teach. And so he goes down to the river where people are praying uh, on, a, on, a, on the weekend there. And he runs into a woman by the name of Lydia, a dealer of purple. She turns out she's a very wealthy, prominent woman in Philippi. And it was mostly Romans in Philippi. And they immediately turn to the gospel. And what happens, which is so interesting about it, is that this group of Gentiles uh, become a very uh, loved church group of people by. Paul himself. And so he is now arrested and he's writing to them to encourage them. And he talks about joy. Even though he's in prison, he says joy is a choice. So we're going to explore that. He says that joy is a learned lifestyle. So how you think and how you act and how you behave is really important. To the level of joy that you live in and experience. Joy is a learned spiritual attitude. So how do you form it? How do you invest in it? How do you maintain joy? How do you expand joy? All of these themes are in the book of Philippians. These are things that Paul wrote to these people from prison. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump right in and we're going to start off with chapter one and we're going to find out what is the foundation for living blessed even when you're stressed, okay? So I want to give you a brief outline or a basic outline of chapter one. Now, the first two verses are an introduction, hi, I'm Paul. And then verses three through 11 are Paul really loves these people. He goes on and on about how awesome they are, how much he loves them and so forth. Then in 12 through 18, he talks about the fact that he's in this pickle. He's in prison and how he feels about being in prison and how he's suffering being in in chains for Christ, as he says. In verses 19 through 26, though, you see kind of the, the most important part of the whole chapter. And this is where Paul gives the answer of why he can be joyful even in prison. And then finally, he says, you guys can experience the same thing I'm experiencing. And that's why I'm writing you this letter. So let's go in here and we're going to start with 19 through 26. What, what is his answer? And then once we understand his answer, we'll go back and look at these other things and how they contribute to the answer that Paul gives us in those Verses. So, what is his answer? Well, his answer in the first chapter, verses 19 through 26, deal predominantly with this issue, and that is, you must define your reason for existence. If you want to live a blessed life in the midst of stress, you begin by defining your reason for existence. Now, let me read some of the verses in that whole section. Beginning with verse 21, very powerful verse. He goes, For to me, in other words, from my perspective, for my life, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a very powerful statement. For me, living is Jesus and dying is gain. Why is that? Verse 22, for if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? Now, you don't hear people talk about this very often, but look at what he does. He says, I do not know what to choose. You see, I am torn between the two options. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is far more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying that my reason for existence is so powerful. And Jesus is this reason for existence. And I have defined it so clearly in my life, I have a hard time knowing whether I should stay or go. And that's a powerful thing. But it is critical if you want to learn how to live blessed even when you're stressed. Why is that? Well, here's why. Well, most people do and, and psychologists kind of figured out a little bit. And this is one of the reasons I, I will look at what psychologists say is not because they have the answer, because they never can seem to come up with the answer. But what they can always do is they can kind of point you in the right direction, right? They kind of point you in the right direction, but they can never actually say what the answer is. So they, they begin, but they don't end. And so by combining it, what we do is we see, ah, oh, they're pointing us to what the Bible has taught for 2,000 years isn't always true. And psychologists have found this case, and that is, is that what happens is most of us go through life, right? And then something good happens, right? You, you go to work. And your boss gives you a bonus because the deal closed that day and you were contributed to it, right? And then your, your friend buys you your favorite thing for lunch and you didn't even ask. They just drop it at your desk. And then you get on Eagle Road and you hit every green light on the way home, right? So what, what do you do? You go, man, I am happy, but I'm so happy, right? And then the next day, what happens is you go to work and you're a teacher and three of the kindergartners throw up on you, you know, and, and then your principal comes in and says you didn't fill out the right paperwork. And guess what? There's a car wreck on Eagle Road when you're trying to get home. Now, now you're what? You're not happy at all. But you see, what we're actually describing is not happiness. We're describing moods. This is really important to understand. And so a mood is influenced by what happens to you. Good things, a happy mood. Bad things, sad mood. And you know what's interesting, psychologists discovered, is that it doesn't matter what your mood is after a couple days goes by, you always go back to your baseline, right? So you you could like wow, I played a scratch game. I I won $100,000, right? You're you're riding high. A week later, two weeks later, where are you? You're back emotionally to where you started. And it works in converse. Something really bad happens. You lose a loved one or there's a car wreck or whatever. A few weeks later, where are you back? You always regress to the mean. That is how our sense of blessedness works. It's actually this. And the reason why people have difficulty living blessed, even when they're stressed, is because most people focus on things that change their mood and they miss the thing that changes their happiness. The University of Illinois found that you can actually change your baseline And so if we were to focus on what changes the baseline, regardless of what our mood is, we will always have joy. And that's what Paul is talking about in the book of Philippians. He is not talking about how to change your mood. He's not talking about how to get more fun things to happen to you so you're in a better mood. He's talking about the most important spiritual things that change your baseline, that allow you to live blessed even when you're stressed. So let's dig into uh, how we get this baseline because your existence, your reason for existing, your purpose is what determines your baseline. And Paul's going to teach us how to do certain things, pursue certain things, that allow us for our reason to existence to become more prevalent in our life and more clarified in our life. So let's go back and start with number one, verses three through 11. And that is this, begin with love. Listen to what he teaches. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse three. He goes, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers For all of you, I always pray with what? Joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Look at that. I thank my God every time I remember you. Do you have somebody like that in your life that every time you think of them, they bring a smile to your face, right? I remember this guy, uh, before I came out here 25 years ago, I worked for a church in Wichita, Kansas called Central Community Church. And there was this guy on staff that I worked with. I was kind of in young adults, and he was the student minister or the youth minister. And he was a big guy. I mean, he's probably 6'5", 6'6". And he, he, he was just big all around, larger than life personality. He was one of the funniest people I ever met. And his name was Kit Tabor. And he was all, his perspective, he could take anything that was happening and he would have you laughing in stitches. He just had that demeanor about him, you know? And he's very charismatic. People always kind of attract around him. You got that? Is that he just really always brought a smile to my face. Here's another thing is in this verse is guys, if you're married, every time you thank God for your wife, you should be what? A smile on your face. Okay. I just gave every guy here an opportunity to score points with their wives. And it just went, no. All right? Hey guys, every time you think of your wife, you should have a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah amen. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right, honey. No problem, baby. You got, I got that. Come on. Giving you guys I'm here to help you. I'm here to help. Okay? But look at that. Every time I pray, I pray in joy. You know, why did he pray in joy? He goes, because this is a very powerful statement. Because Christ who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a powerful promise for you and for me. And what it is, is when we define our experience, the reason, excuse me, define our existence, we have to begin with love. And Paul tells these people, man, I love you guys so much because Jesus is at work in your life and there's so many beautiful things going on. Now, it's so funny how the world actually supports what Paul is teaching. In 1945, they started one of the largest longitudinal studies on happiness that the world has ever known. It came out of the Harvard University. And what they did is they took all the graduates of Harvard University from 1939 through 1944. Now, what was happening 1939 to 1944? It was World War II, one of the most devastating global conflicts that killed millions and millions and millions of people. And so they started tracking all of these graduates. And after about five decades, the lead psychiatrist on the study by the name of George Valiant wrote a book. And he said, you know what the conclusion to our study is? It's this, happiness is love, full stop. That's what he wrote, happiness is love. What's really interesting there is Paul says, you want to know your reason for existence so that your baseline goes up? You better begin with love. And they studied this at Harvard, and they said after 50 uh, 50 years, five decades, we found tracking every one of these guys, all these graduates, that love is the ultimate thing that brings happiness to your life. Same thing that Paul is teaching in Philippians chapter 1 from 2000 years ago. As a matter of fact, after uh, George Valiant left the program, they got a new director, and his name is Robert Waldinger. And in 2005, he wrote the following words He said, The subjects in the study who reported having the happiest lives were those with strong family ties, they had close friendships and rich romantic lives. So the reason for existence, which is your baseline and the way your baseline changes begins with love. Love is the first stone in your foundation of happiness and joy. And this is why Jesus always starts with love. Jesus always begins with love. He doesn't begin with anger or malice or judgment. He always starts with love. That's why we always start with John 3.16. When we want to introduce people to Jesus, we always quote, you know, for God so loved the world. We always begin with love. John the apostle wrote in his three letters to the church, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He said, uh, particularly the fourth chapter, 1 John, he said, God is love. And so we always start There. In the same way, with your baseline, with your reason for existence, the best way to see it grow or move up is to begin with love. And that's why you should love Jesus with everything you got. And that's why you should keep the people around you that you love, love them the best way that you can. Now, the second thing that he teaches in chapter one is this, not only start with love, but be honest enough to face your circumstances head on. This may sound strange, but what it does is it actually moves your baseline of joy, your reason for existence, more clearly in your life, and it goes up. Now, notice what he says in verse 12. He goes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What in the world happened to him? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains, that's what happened to him, in chains for Christ. It's my faith in Jesus that got me arrested, and that's why I am now in prison. And all those palace guards that are guarding me 24-7, guess what? They have all come to know not only the gospel, but why I am in chains. And because of my chains, isn't that interesting? Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Notice what he's saying. Because of this negative thing, because of my suffering, because of my imprisonment, because of something really, really bad that's happening to me, guess what? It's benefited other people. It's Not benefiting me right now but it is certainly benefiting all the brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they are more confident now than ever to proclaim the gospel without fear. When you can face your circumstances and face your own self in your circumstances, honestly, that is the next step in Seeing your baseline grow, your reason for existence becoming clearer and clearer in your life. There's a course at Harvard University, and it's a course on happiness. And the professor who teaches it is named uh, Tal Ben Shahar, and he says the following The first lesson in this course is that when you give yourself permission to be human, you are more likely to open yourself up to positive emotions. So when you give yourself permission to be human, you're not perfect, then you open yourself up to more positive emotions. So the point is, is stop expecting things to be perfect. Paul didn't expect things to be perfect. He was expecting them to be really bad but it didn't matter. He was still able to see the benefit of his suffering. Now, that works really, really well, but unfortunately, fewer and fewer people are able to experience this, and it's so much harder to do than ever before. Why is that? Is it because we are different than our ancestors, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents? Or is it that we have been taught to do something that they didn't really do. And that is what's really going on. What's happening is it's harder to accept that you're human because of postmodernism. And people are like, pastor, there you go again. What are you talking about? Well, let me share with you this. Postmodernism is the predominant philosophy of the world in which you live for the last 50 years. And in postmodernism, one of the primary things they teach you to do is to think like a deconstructionist, meaning that you're really good at seeing through people's stuff and through stories and through things. You can see all the flaws and the difficulties. You can deconstruct it, right? You can pull it apart. And because you're taught to think that way, it makes you skeptical of everything. You're skeptical of all truth. Claims. Now, what happens is postmodernism, because they use deconstruction, they have redefined what it means to be human. They've redefined it. You see, in postmodernism, there is no objective truth, there is no objective reason for your existence, there is no objective narrative by which you can see who you truly are. So here's the truth it is really difficult to know the reason for your existence when there is no reason for your existence. It's really difficult to find the reason for your existence when there is no reason for your existence. People are asking me, Pastor, why is it over the last 30 years people, teenagers grow up, they go to, to, to school and then they go to university and then they come out and they're, they're, they seem to be more uh, depressed, they have more anxiety, they're, they're more fearful of life than ever before. And I said, well, the reason why is because they're in a postmodern cultural context. And they look at me and go, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about again? Speaking. English. And I'm like, I know it's abstract, but it's the truth. It's so abstract, we never think about it. But that's the way Satan loves to work. He loves to deceive us through these things that we never really think about, and that is is that when you're taught and you're told that there, God doesn't matter, there is no God, we're completely secular, every institution revolves around secular philosophies and secular ideologies, that means that your life technically has no meaning for its existence. You lived in a closed system of time and space, and that means that ultimately it's, what you're going to do and what's going to happen to you is already determined. You have no free will. Your choices don't matter. No wonder these people come out depressed because they're saying, you don't have any reason for your existence. That's our definition of human beings. And you know what it does? This is what it does. Is it says, you know what? There is no meta-narrative. The only narrative that works is you. It's your truth is so important. Your truth is paramount. Your truth is what matters. And so what that does to a person with that definition of human nature, they then say to themselves, Well, the reason why my life is a problem, the reason why things are difficult is because of some system or some other person. I'm being held back or there's a problem. And until that's solved, then I'll never achieve or uh, uh, get or become what I hope and dream. And so that turns everybody into competing with everybody else. Everybody else is filled with uh, competition and division. And they're saying, I need to beat that person in order for me to feel better about myself. And guess what? Every time you win, every time you, you get more power over somebody else or more money, your mood does what? it improves. But what happens to your happiness? Your baseline gets worse and worse and worse because at its core, you don't really care about anybody else but yourself. I know people who've been married to people like that, and they say it is the most painful thing that you will ever experience in your life. The biblical definition of human nature is the exact opposite. It allows you to accept the fact that you're human and that you're not perfect, but there are still all these amazing things about who you are. See, the biblical definition of humanity is this, is that you are created in the image of God. And because of that, all the wonderful and beautiful things, you know, hopes and dreams and love and generosity and compassion and mercy and kindness, all these things that make life so great, you know, friendship and, and marriage and children, honesty and integrity and courage and confidence, all of these things about you are really, really wonderful things. And these are a reflection of God's image created in you, but you have a little problem because you live in a world that has been infected by sin, that sin infects you too. So you can be the most generous, kind, happy, magnanimous person out there building other people up, but then on occasion, your mood could be one of the most selfish, narcissistic, and mean it can ever be. I don't know if you're that way, but I've certainly seen that in myself. See, I love that definition of humanity. You know why? Because it allows me to face my circumstances head on. It it allows me to say, you know what? I dream, I hope, I long for all these wonderful and beautiful things, but I know that I have a little problem, this sin, it affects the way I think, and sometimes it... Steals my motivation to do the right thing. Sometimes it can deceive me. It can do all these things. And sometimes the things, the, the best things in my life, my friendships, my marriage, you know, my children, uh, uh, working with people in the church and helping people can be infected by that. And it, it makes them rough and hard sometimes. And so do I give into that? No, I let Jesus redeem it because I can be honest about it. I can be honest about it. Yeah, I, I did handle that so well. You're right. Yeah, I probably, oh yeah, I probably stepped in it there. That happens quite often, you know. I usually, every day I come home from work, I should, you know, hose off my shoes because I've stepped in something during the day. I'm sure of it. You know, see, I can do that. And you know what that does? This sounds so counterintuitive, but it's so true. My reason for existence becomes stronger, not weaker. And so my baseline for joy goes what? Up instead of down. And so regardless of what happens, I'm experiencing more. Now, if you'd really like to dig into this deeper, you can listen to The Salty Pastor, my podcast. (laughs) You can find it anywhere where podcasts are offered or on our website or on our uh, phone app. You can listen to it right there. We dig deep into this stuff each and every week. Now, the last thing I wanna share with you is this, is once you start with love and then you learn what it means to be human in God's eyes, then you can really start to live for your reason for existence. You can live for the thing that brings the greatest joy in your life. And that's verses 27 through 30. Uh, 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 It's actually 27 to the end of the chapter, but I'm going to read just verses 27 through 28. And this is what it says. Now, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, so he's saying conduct yourself. That means how you live each and every day, right? It's just a simple routine of everyday life. Conduct yourselves in a, worthy, uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, listen to this, I will No, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel and without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. How do I live fearlessly? By not being frightened. How do I live confidently? Without being frightened. How do I live courageously? Without being frightened. It's about my faith. And then what happens is if each and every day I conduct myself in a way that, that it sees these positive things happening around me, my baseline goes up. Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, Carnegie uh, started a university, and uh, it's Carnegie Mellon, and They do research, that's all they do over there. Very, very popular, highly respected university. And in 2006, they published a study on happiness and this is what they said. They said that all the people who live in positive emotions around these positive emotional circumstances have fewer colds, flus after being exposed to viruses than those who are all stressed out. So he's saying that your environment that you're in influences your immune system. Uh, The the professor of that happiness course at Harvard University said this, we must look for happiness in the right places. And what he means is we should put ourselves in those situations. And that's why being in Jesus and around the people of Jesus is the greatest thing that can happen for your joy. Live it out each and every day. And that's the point of chapter 1. Is that you want uh, to live blessed when you're stressed? Then let Jesus be your joy. Let him be the only reason for your existence. Jesus is joy. Jesus is all about joy. Jesus is how we are filled with joy and overflow with joy. It's all about joy, joy, joy. And so next week, uh, we are gonna have a question question that we're asking. Do we have the question up here for next week so you guys can help me do a video? Ah, next week's question. What gave you the most strength throughout the last nine months? I'd like for you to take your phone out, and I'd like you to shoot a little selfie video that's 10 seconds long. Don't need to do it now. Do it with your kids or your family, and then you can go to our website or right there on your phone. Our phone app is you can submit it. And I just want you to answer this question. What gave you the most strength? You might answer and say, my wife. There we go. Hey, okay, guys, one more time. My wife. Amen. Amen. There you go. Just trying to help you guys out, right? Ladies, you might say, my husband. Amen. Amen. Okay, there you go. Some of you might say, my kids. Okay, maybe nobody's going to say that, but it's a nice thought. I'm joking. We're just having fun. So, yeah. (laughs) So, I'd like you to answer that question if you can, you know, because here's the reason why we're doing this series because in a lot of way is that just like Paul in chapter one, he's talking about being in prison, is that we're in prison. You know, we have a prison. We have chains around us right now, and our prison is COVID, right? I mean, it's changing everything. Just like a, a chain changes the way you Think and you act and you behave. That's what COVID has done in a lot of ways. It's it's a prison. Just imagine if Paul in his prison at this time, just imagine if what he did is he spent all of his energy with the palace guard saying this. I'm a citizen of Rome. Why am I in prison? I'm a citizen of Rome. This is unjust. I should be able to get out. I'm a citizen of Rome. And there are people out there preaching the gospel, and I can't do it. God, why don't you get me out of this prison? But is that what he did? No. What he did is he defined his reason for existence, and even in chains, he was able to see that his reason for existence was coming true. And so he was filled with joy. You know, just like my buddy Kit, always joyful. You know, his story goes on a little bit further, and that is, is that... Is that uh right after he, I moved up here almost 25 years ago, that next year he brought the entire youth group from Wichita up here. I met him at Salt Lake. We drove up to Fairfield to the Intermountain Christian Camp up there. And his youth group spent 10 days building out the manager's log cabin up there. And so they finished that out so that they could use it for ministry. And then, so then, and every time I would go back to Wichita, uh, he would always ask me to come and preach because a year after I left and came out here, he planted a new church. And so I would go, and it was portable church. You know, they'd skip around at schools and theaters and stuff like that. And then something really interesting happened: is the church that I was ordained into the ministry, Westside Christian Church, and close to downtown Wichita. I called it the Hamburger Church, and the reason why is because it was two stories, is made out of stone, it was in a circle. They built it in a circle, and then they put windows in a different stone in the center. So it looked like a giant hamburger to me. So I called the Hamburger Church. And um, so I was there. I started my ministry there. They ordained me into the ministry there, but then I left, and that church had to close its doors because it lost its vision of ministry, and so it died. Well, what happened is Kit's church that he had planted, they bought that church's building And they remodeled it and they moved into it and kept it going. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? The place where Kim and I were married in that building, uh, I was ordained into the ministry in that building 33 years ago. And guess what happened is now my buddy Kit, right? His church is in there doing great and growing. Isn't that cool how that happens, you know? So yeah, two weeks ago, he got COVID. And on Thursday, he died because of it. Yeah. On Thursday, we heard. You see, COVID's a prison and it can scare the living bejeebies out of you. People have asked me, Pastor, you know, you go and you pray for people with COVID. Doesn't that scare you? I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, when people are having problems, you have people that that you don't know, and they want to hug you, or they want this, or they're sick, and you need to hands-on pray for them? Doesn't that scare you? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of scary. You know, especially, you know, my mom is 89 years old and has all kinds of health issues. You know, I pray for my mom, and, and her husband's 91. So, they're in what we call a vulnerable population. So, people say, how is it that you just keep going? And so, I said, well, I kind of have a little motto that I wrote. And maybe it doesn't help you, but it helps me. And this is how it goes. COVID may kill me, but staying alive is not my reason for existence. Knowing Jesus is my reason for existence. COVID may kill me, but that prison has opened up the gospel to more people than ever before. COVID may kill me, but it has pushed our church, Foothills Christian Church, back towards the purity of discipleship and the depth of knowing the Scriptures. COVID may kill me, but it has deepened my prayer life and strengthened my reliance on Him. COVID may kill me, but more people are getting baptized into Jesus Christ than ever before, and it is so cool. COVID may kill me, but our church is populating heaven like never before, COVID may kill me, but Fit Hills has more people in small groups and more discipleship happening than in its 95-year history. COVID may kill my body, but I will live forever, because for me, living is Jesus and dying is gain, and that's what helps me. <laughs> Let's let our host close us up. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.